My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. In today's always-on, connected-everywhere world, it has never been easier to get a hold of anyone, at any time, by any method. Unless you are a customer with a problem and you would like to speak to a human being on the phone. If you have ever had an issue with your account, you're definitely aware that big tech platforms like Facebook and Instagram and many more don't have phone numbers for you to call. They have forms to fill out and emails to send and requests to make, and maybe, if you're lucky, an actual person reads about your issue and fixes it. But maybe not. When you service billions of people in dozens of languages, maybe that's understandable. Maybe. But that approach has trickled down to smaller and smaller companies. Any kind of company. Appliance vendors, music services, magazines, and in some cases, airlines. Frontier Airlines has completely gotten rid of its telephone customer service line. The budget carrier says it's transitioned to only online, mobile, and text support. Why is this happening? Is it just about the money? What does a company save when it cuts this kind of service, and how much does it cost them with its customers? Facebook not having a number to call might be a nuisance. But imagine you're stranded in a foreign country and not able to speak to anyone from the airline you need to get home. What happens then? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Emily Stewart covers business and economics for Vox. Hello, Emily. Hi. When's the last time you tried to reach a customer service representative by the phone? Oh, man, probably, I think, last week, honestly. And I was very lucky. I did need to speak with a real person. And it took me a second, but I got through. Did you have to, like, finagle your way through various help menus and such? I had to be like, no, no, I really think I need to talk to a new per- a real person. And, you know, and then it's like, no, no, you don't. You say, yes, I do. But I really just had to, I got, like, something from the bank that I was like, I don't think I need to do anything with this, but I have to find out. Right. And the, the robot didn't know, but the person on the, end of, the other end of the line, they knew. And they were like, no, you can put it away. And it was very easy. Well, easy enough. Easy enough. And that's why we're having this conversation, because that is a rarer experience every day. Why don't you start by telling us the story? that you start your piece with. And just tell us about the Johnny Boston situation. It's a great example of what we're talking about here. So what happened? So Johnny Boston's is a restaurant in uh, New Hampshire. And basically what happened is the owner of the restaurant uh, at some point was no longer able to access his personal Facebook account. That meant that he couldn't access his business's Facebook account. So he would use that account to kind of keep customers updated about specials and deals, uh, couldn't get back in. And this is, a, I think, like a pretty common experience. A lot of people have been locked out of 
other Facebook or Instagram accounts. Mm -hmm. Turns out he was really not able to get back in. He would go through this, you know, the Facebook system to send pictures of his driver's license to prove that he was himself. But every time he'd get to the last step, he would get tripped up because the person who had hacked his personal Facebook account had had changed the account's phone number. So it was something where it must have been sending a link or or a code to a phone number that was no longer his. Right. His problem was not just that phone number, but also Facebook's, or rather Facebook's lack thereof. There was no customer service line to help him get back in. So he spent months and months not being able to use his business's Facebook account. Okay, Facebook is a huge company, and to your point in the Johnny Boston situation, there's a lot of money at stake for businesses that use this platform, and they can't talk to a human being at all? No, he could not talk to a human being at all. I mean, the punchline of this story is that I was able to get him back into his account because I reached out to Facebook's PR team after going back and forth with them over email, not over the phone, for a couple of weeks that we got, we got Johnny Boston back in. Has Facebook ever had a customer service line? Like, did they start with one and phase it out, or have they just always been computer only? I mean, at the very least, they haven't had one in recent years. You know, I don't know, like back in 2004, 2005, maybe there was some sort of line for someone to call. That was probably just Zuckerberg's cell phone. Right, like, who knows what that was? But in recent years, you know, this is a pretty common phenomenon. I still, to this day, I get emails from people asking me to get them back into their Facebook accounts after publishing the story a few months ago. How common is it for a company of Facebook size and reputation to not have one? Like, what kind of company are they keeping here in the industry? How often do companies like this have a real customer service line? You know, I think you'd be a little bit surprised how common this is. Frontier Airlines, the budget airline, made some headlines last year when they announced they were getting rid of their customer service line. Uh, reporting for this story, I found someone who could not get in touch with Uber. And when I asked Uber what she should have done, they kind of said she should use our app. There was no phone number for her to call. You know, Amazon will call you back, but it's difficult to call them. Title, the music streaming service was a company that I dealt with for this. But it really is companies that really run the gamut. You know, I talked to somebody for this story who couldn't cancel a magazine subscription and couldn't find a phone number. Hmm. I found someone who uh, had bought a wine fridge and it had broken and could not get through to this company. So it really is is more common than I think sometimes you'd think. Do we know when this phenomenon kind of started happening? I know you can't pinpoint it to a date or anything, um, but you know when not having an actual phone number with a human on the other end started to become at least an option for these companies as opposed to, you know, I think of maybe 20 years ago, that would have seemed nuts. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like the internet has made this a lot more possible for companies than it was. Um, I mean, it's also important to remember, like, at some point years and years and decades ago, customer service was only face-to-face, right? You couldn't call at all. Right. Um, but over the years, this is, has happened for a multitude of reasons. You know, companies now have the internet. You know, call centers are expensive. Looking forward, you have to wonder how much AI is going to make this even more possible. But, you know, companies have plenty of other ways that people can reach out now that are a lot cheaper. They would say more efficient. A lot of consumers who have dealt with this would say not exactly. Right. And is that the root of all this when you talk to, you know, business experts about infrastructure and that kind of stuff? Is it just, is it cost cutting? Most of it really is money. You know, one person I talked to said, listen, like the cost of talking to a person face to face, it's always going to be more expensive than talking to a live person on the phone. 
that's more expensive than talking to somebody on chat. Um, then you get into automated solutions, then you get into emails. So yes, companies have figured out this is a way to cut costs. And you know, even for companies that do have a phone number, do have call centers. I think a lot of people have had the experience of of winding up having a call center, you know, calling a company and getting someone who's not in the United States, who's maybe English is not great. So you're having a harder time understanding. And that's a cost cutting measure as well, right? Like ultimately companies want to make money. They think this is a way to do it. Do we know how customers feel about this in general and what it does to their relationship with the company? I mean, to a certain extent, Sure. Sometimes you don't really want to have to call somebody. Like if I'm going on vacation, uh, I need to call my bank and tell them that, you know, whatever, I'm going on vacation, don't cancel my credit card. That's kind of nice to be able to do over the internet. You know, on the other hand, there are moments that it can be, you know, quite upsetting to people. One researcher I talked to told me that having another person on the phone kind of makes consumers feel more confident about their decision-making And she said that even the option to have a person to call makes consumers feel more at ease. You know, all of these hoops that we've had to jump through over the years has also kind of trained consumers to behave a little bit badly. None of us are our best selves when we are on the customer service phone line. But because we're used to having to jump through so many hoops, because we've had so many negative experiences, a lot of consumers escalate very quickly because sometimes we've been kind of taught to believe that the way to get what we want is to immediately say, I'm super upset. Give me your manager. I want to talk to the manager. And it makes us behave a little bit poorly. And some of that's that's obviously on us, but some of it's also the companies have made us this way. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. We are going to talk about what this does to the companies themselves. But first, I do find it kind of funny that we get really frustrated when we can't get a human on the line to help solve our problems. But at the same time, there are all these memes about, you know, don't call me, just text me. Like, ooh, I don't want to pick up the phone. Oh, gosh. Like, there's a big push towards non-phone interactions, at least among people who are under 40 or whatever. And at the same time, then we're like, how dare you cut my customer service line? Right. And like I said before, I think sometimes we just want the option. Like there are, I'm happy to press a couple of buttons. I'm happy to talk to the chat bot sometimes. But at some point, you really do get to the point where it's like, I just need to talk to somebody. And you kind of got at this earlier. This is also an age question. Like, sure, if you're under 40, under 50, maybe you're a little bit more internet savvy. But for older people, the idea of getting on the internet to do some of this stuff is just not realistic or possible. You know, they really do want and need to talk to somebody Also, Not everybody has internet access. Not everybody has a smartphone that they're really great at at, you know, at dealing with chats and stuff. So you want that option, I think. Most people would say, even if that's not my first choice, it is a choice I would like to have on the table. Right. And if you put yourself in the business issues, you know, you do a cost benefits analysis and you realize that you can save a lot of money and and the cons might be, I guess, what for them? Aggravated customers? Surely there's reputational costs for, you know, not being able to to get a person on the line to solve somebody's problem. Like that doesn't 
give your business the best look. Right. I mean, I'm sure some of it is really, a lot of it is reputational, right? Like, oh, I had a terrible experience with this company. I never want to use them again. Uh, At the same time, if you're Facebook, I don't know how worried you are about that. Like at the end of the day, you have tons and tons of users. People hate you for a multitude of reasons, whatever. You know, some people I talked to, experts in this area said that one thing companies kind of sometimes might miss out on is learning about their products and services. You know, if you're talking to your customers and have people on the line with them, you might start to notice that a lot of people are having the same problem. Um, They're having the same complaints about whatever your product or service is. Mm -hmm. And that is an opportunity to fix that problem. And then maybe you'll have fewer complaints going forward. And that actually winds up saving you money down the line. And presumably, you're also missing a chance to upsell uh, these consumers on, on your other goods and services. Right. I mean, I think it just, it makes People feel good to be able to talk to somebody and feel like, you know, we do want to feel like we have a personal relationship with companies, which is, you know, its own separate issue. But we do want to feel like there's somebody there and like the company cares. And and maybe it is an opportunity to say, hey, you have A, do you want B? And maybe somebody will say yes. Yeah. So what happened when you reached out to these companies? You mentioned you were able to get Johnny Boston's Facebook account back. Uh, What about in other cases when you reached out to ask them, why? Why can't this customer talk to someone? I mean, really, what was so funny about this was, you know, being a reporter, dealing with like a comms team, it, the relationship is different. Uh, a lot of the companies that I reached out to basically were like, who's the customer? We can probably fix it. And like offered to fix these people's problems. <laughs> Which is what they way. wanted, to, a person that would do it. Right. <laughs> so I was able to like, you know, for, most, for most of the people I dealt with, they'd kind of abandoned the issue long ago. But it was funny to say like, oh, actually this in-person interaction, even if it is over email or whatever it is, or getting the comms person on the phone is kind of fixing, like we're doing, we're fixing the thing in the way that we know that we probably could fix the thing. Were they aware at all of the irony of that? I don't know. I wondered that. I really did. I just, because after the first one, I thought, okay, that's weird. And by the third or fourth, I thought you guys shouldn't be doing this. Just ignore me. (laughs) But okay. Did any of them comment on the overall strategy and why they'd done it, though, as opposed to just fixing the problem? I mean, I think if you're a Facebook here, what you say is, we have tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of customers. We have users. It would be wild for us to open up a customer service line and just impossible to scale. Which I guess, like, to a certain extent, maybe, I don't know. But at the same time, like I said before, I get emails pretty regularly from people specifically about Facebook who are locked out of their accounts. It seems like a problem that you have to be able to fix somehow, right? I mean, the same thing with Uber. You know, talk to a woman who wasn't able to update her phone number and she'd moved from one country to another. And Uber was kind of like, well, she can use the app. And it's like, okay, but she's tried to use the app. So now what happens? Mm-hmm. Like, I understand you guys have a lot of people, but what is like, what's the solution for her? And I think sometimes companies, you know, they, yes, it is, it is difficult to run a big call center or whatever, or get, you know, higher customer service people even to be on a chat. But you have to wonder like, if this is a trade-off that we, we all really want to make. What about some of the smaller companies? What did you mention? Like a wine fridge and stuff like that? Like those folks don't seem like the sort of business that would have, you know, massive scale problems with having a few people answering phones. 
Yeah, with that one, I really never quite got it. I think I went back and forth with their who someone on their other email. I mean, it became very clear, I think, in that back and forth that this company maybe was not based in the U.S. Um, and that was part mm. of the issue. Some right. of it's also we often don't know, you know, in the age of the Internet, we have no idea what companies we are dealing with in a lot of cases. There are tons of businesses out there, small businesses that may be based here or there that, you know, may or may not have, you know, the best customer service or the best products. And so I think that was a case where just, you know, they were never going to answer the phone and they never wanted to. Fair enough. I guess it's their business. But just to play devil's advocate here for a second, uh, on behalf of the businesses, couldn't this all, I feel like that meme, like, couldn't this meeting just be an email? But couldn't couldn't all these problems be taken care of by, you know, a really responsive uh, email customer service department? Like, is it really a person and a voice on the phone that we can yell at? Or is it just, like, bad customer service that could be better? I mean, I think there are certain things that could be emails. Like, I did speak to one person for this story. I don't think I, she wound up in this story who'd worked in a customer service role. And she was saying, you know, we could do so much more via email and people could explain their problems to me. Like, in her specific case, that was maybe true. But at the same time, like, I don't know, my flight's delayed. Do I want to spend three hours in the airport emailing with American Airlines or whatever while I get this figured out? Like, you do kind of want that instantaneous ability to communicate and email just doesn't, I don't think in some cases it just doesn't do that. And we do want to talk to people sometimes. Well, the airline one is a good one because when I was reading your piece, that was the one that caught me, right? Because there are there are timelines involved. They're often quick. People are often far away from home. Some of them are stranded. Like I can understand a big tech company that deals with millions and billions of customers and predominantly just deals in information and bits and bytes. But like when you have people you're trying to get someplace, it does seem like quite a huge step to not talk to them. Right. I mean, I wonder with Frontier, you know, obviously they're a budget airline. Their whole promise is we're going to keep prices as low as possible. That means you're going to accept some conditions that you may not love. And I do wonder how many people have, have accepted those conditions and then, you know, push comes to shove and it's summer travel and you cannot call Frontier. You might regret that a little bit. At the same time, you know, you have social media and we see people all the time going to Twitter to say blah, 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 blah. And then you sometimes do get somebody in the Twitter you know, DMs or whatever who is going to solve your problem. Um, but again, this kind of makes us worse people. Like it would... Like nobody wants to be the person tweeting from the airplane at Frontier, or Delta, or whatever that they're mad mm-hmm. and everybody knows that their trip is a disaster. So what happens next in this space? Is this all a moot point because it's all going to be handled by AI uh, within a matter of months anyway? This is seeming like where it's trending, right? I mean, that is, I think, a good and big question. You, you are seeing some reports of call centers going fully AI. Um, you're also seeing reports of some call centers using AI to help train their workers, which I think is kind of interesting. You know, if you have, if like, it's not a bad idea. If you are a customer service representative, and let's say you're on the chat instead of on the phone, and people are asking you the same thing every five minutes, like, it's not a bad thing to be able to just send them the canned response. Or if you're a newer worker, and you don't know the canned response, you don't know the right answer, like the AI might be helpful to you. Like, is AI going to be answering every phone call in America in the next six months? Like, I don't know. I've given up on like trying to predict what AI will or will not do. And given up on trying to reach companies by phone. Yeah, I mean, really. 
a friend of mine got locked out of his Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and he is also a reporter. He was able to get back in because of being a reporter, because he got a real person. And people say journalism is dying. <laughs> Still fulfills an important role in society. <laughs> yep, getting us back into our Facebook accounts. Emily, thank you so much for this. It was a delight. Thank you so much for having me. That was Emily Stewart at Vox. And that was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. And of course, we love to hear from listeners. I want to respond to one email that we got because this is something I think about a lot. This is a listener named Brandon. And he writes, I like your podcast and I like you. Thanks, Brandon. But a week ago, you made me want to throw my phone across the room. Because I like you, I'm taking the time to tell you why. About a week ago, you were devoting yet another podcast to the who knew what, when, and should, could they have said something earlier nonsense related to Chinese spying. And you said, will there be a public inquiry? It's the question every Canadian wants answered. Brandon says, I don't want it answered. I want our so-called leaders expending half the energy they do on pseudo-non-scandals on what really matters. If you asked anyone what their top issues of concern are, I imagine the list would look something like this. The cost of food, the cost of housing, the sad state of health care, climate change, children's mental health. And somewhere way down at the bottom might be what our elected officials are spending most of their time on. I will leave it there, but I will let all of you know this is something we think about a lot. The question is often, do we want to make people take their medicine? Or do we want to talk about what we know they want to hear about? It is a tough decision. I would dispute, personally, the idea that this is a pseudo-non-scandal. It involves election interference from a foreign government, uh, which is, listen, a pretty big deal, even if it doesn't impact your pocketbook on a day-to-day -day basis. But this is something that we love hearing from listeners about, because first of all, we always want to know what the most important issues in this country are to you. And second, because without this kind of feedback, we're not as good at making these kind of decisions. We are going to cover the Chinese interference scandal as it goes on. I hope we get a public inquiry because there's also a bigger issue here that we return to time and again of a lack of transparency in our government. And that should matter to all Canadians, no matter which party you support. So I want to thank Brandon for writing in, and I want to encourage everybody listening this far. At the end of the podcast, you are probably the top 10% of listeners who actually listen to me babble at the end. So you guys are the ones we really want to hear from. And if you usually listen this far, you know how to do it. But here it is anyway. You can always find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can always write to us via email. The address is hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can always call us and just talk into the phone. That number is 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. and We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.